My name is Milian Mori and welcome to our podcast, Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visioners, hustlers, and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless, and determined. We fight for love, profits, and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers, and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth, and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Hello, everybody. This is Warrior Family, and I'm Smilian Mori. Welcome to the Warrior Family Show, where you can learn everything on how to create and live the life worth living. But in order to do this, we must do something about it. And my goal within this show is to bring you guests, their ideas, their strategies, their mind hacks to help you become the person you want to become. And today I have a special guest. My guest today is Patrick Bet David. Patrick Bet David, he is a former U.S. military member, founder of PHP, People Helping People Agency, an insurance, sales, marketing, and distribution agency, which is now one of the fastest growing companies in the financial marketplace. He is the host of Valuetainment YouTube channel, I wrote with almost, but today it's already more than 900,000 subscribers. He also hosted a series of interviews with the world's most interesting people like Magic Johnson, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Deepak Chopra, and many others. Patrick's amazing story starts with his family immigrating to America during Iranian Revolution when he was 10 years old. His famous video, The Life of an Entrepreneur in 90 Seconds, accumulated 30 30. 30 million views online, and it became a book in 2016. So welcome, David, to my show. Hey, thanks for having me. I am so grateful because you took some precious time from your life, and... You know, I'm so happy because we are in the same industry. So I got some inspiration today from you. Well, it's, it's good to meet other people within the same industry, especially yeah. in Slovenia. You being one of the bigger ones in Slovenia, yeah, yeah. It's, good, it's good to talk about yeah. the business. Yeah. So let's start with something that I like to start with my show. And this is with the family. Okay. Yeah. So you have three kids. I have three kids. They are two, six and eight. Two, four, six. Two, four, six. Two-year-old girl, four-year-old boy, six-year-old boy. Okay. So my major question, main question is always, uh, how do you balance business, family life, your personal life? How do you find time for everything? So that's a great question. So one of the things about on my family with my wife, uh, let's start Mm -hmm. off with the wife first. Mm -hmm. My wife and I met in the business together and my wife and I have lunch every day when I'm in town. So she's in town, she works here today, she's at the office, you Mm -hmm. would have seen her walking around. She runs the other department herself. So Mm-hmm. We get plenty of time together, her and I, Jennifer. Okay. My kids, I grew up in a family where my father worked six days a week. I saw him once a week in Iran. So one day a week I saw my dad, even if I saw my dad one day a week. Today, he's my best friend in the world. We have a very, very good relationship together. And there was even a stint two years where I only saw him. Uh, I didn't see him for two years because li- we lived in Germany at a refugee mm-hmm. camp. And then I came to America, I saw my dad once every two weeks because they got a divorce over the war that happened in mm-hmm. Iran. And then today, my dad's my best friend in the world. So I say that because I grew up asking that question from him. Did he ever feel like he missed out on the relationship with his, fa- with his son? And his answer has always been no. We have a very good relationship. We had fun together. Mm-hmm. When we were together, we had a good time. So my kids, we're, uh, uh, if I'm in town, you know, Sundays are their day. They tell me what they want to do. We go out. We're always trying to do something creativity, mm-hmm. creatively together. And my kids come to the office. They come around. They travel with me. When I go places, I take them with me. So I don't necessarily feel that missing out part with my kids mm-hmm. as much as some other people bring up. Today in America, I don't know about Slovenia. Yeah. Today in America, uh, everybody wants you to think that you have to spend 100 hours with your kids every week. Mm-hmm. 
And it's a new thing. This is not an old thing. This is a very new thing. You go back 60 years, that wasn't the case. <laughs> you know, you go back, it's only a 60, 70 year thing. Because if you go back 100 years, fathers were gone sometimes three months at a time, six months at a time. So I think we spend more time with our kids today than ever before in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. So I am very happy about the quality of life that I have with my wife and kids. Wow, great. So you are in the business with your wife? I am, yes. Yeah, so what is the opinion? Because I meet many entrepreneurs yes. or people, they say, you know, it's not good to be in the business with your wife. I'm in the business with my wife almost 20 years. Really? Yeah. So you are? Yeah, I Okay, am. so you know how many things people say, you know, you yeah. shouldn't do it, all this yeah, other yeah. stuff. <laughs> you know, for me, I think, Alex, so if you were with your wife since 20 years ago, how long have you been with your wife? How many years have you been married? Uh, 20 years. Oh, 20 years. Yeah, so yeah, you've been yeah, in the business yeah, also yeah, 20 yeah. years. Uh, when I started insurance agency, we, we met. Like So she didn't know you rich. She no, knew you when you were coming no, up. Uh, I was nobody and nothing. She what? was she was earning more money than me then. Then let me but tell she you. she didn't know. Oh, she didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know that she was earning more money. <laughs> but I mean, you got you got a lot of presence. You have presence. Yeah, so you yeah, walk yeah. around like you're a leader yeah, yourself. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious. The women are attracted to leaders. <laughs> so my story is slightly different because... When I was coming up in business, we met in the business mm-hmm. together, but she was with another guy, was with another girl, mm-hmm. and I was about to marry the girl I was with, and she was about to be married with the guy that she was with, and I came up, and I made my money, and then we started dating, mm-hmm. and I married my wife. When I married my wife, I was already doing very well in business. Mm-hmm. Not at this level, but I was already doing well mm-hmm. in business. So at that point, the first thing I did is I bought a book. And I gave it to her on our second date, which I don't know. If, <laughs> this is a very weird story. I take her out on our second date. I give her a book called 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. Second date. <laughs> this is okay. the title of this the book. This is the title of the book, 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. So on this, I was talking to four different girls. I had every one of the girls read this book because I knew exactly what I wanted at this time. Okay. So I gave her the book. I said, I want you to read this book. She went through the book. The next Saturday, we get together. Six hours, we went through every single question. And by the way, the questions are not easy questions. Like, the questions are, you know, how many kids do you want to have? How do you want to manage finances? What do you think about the spiritual life? Are you okay with faith? Do you want to cook? Do you not want to cook? What baggage do you bring to the marriage? Everybody has baggage. What's yours? You know, sexual partners. It's as specific as possible. How many days... Can you handle me being away from you working? I mean, Smart it's that's questions. very good questions, right? So I gave that book. We went through it. And a woman named Sandra, who had never read the book, she heard the radio talk about this book. She said, I think you need to buy this book. It sounds like something you would like. So I bought it. And after the exercise we did, you know, we started dating. And I told her, I said, these are some of the things I'm not negotiating. This is just what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah. And she said, great. So I'm a fan of nuptial agreements. I don't know if you guys do prenuptial agreements and stuff in in Slovenia. I'm a fan of everything being, I'm a fan of life insurance because you don't buy life insurance assuming you're going to die. You buy it because if you die, you're protected. Everything Mm -hmm. I'm about anticipating in case something happens. Mm -hmm. So I think in marriage, if you have a lot of those conversations that you're going to have 5, 10, 15 years later, Mm -hmm. it prevents to delay a time bomb. Too many people just get married because sex is good. Too many people get married because (laughs) they're having a lot of fun together. For I one night. To, yeah, that's right. So I wanted to be very specific at that point. So it's worked out for us so far for nine years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. But this, I will buy this book. It's a good book. I, I uh, interviewed yeah. the author like the, the, oh, really? four years after I read the book. So I want to meet this guy. Really You nice went through guy. all the questions. By the way, he was married to his wife for 48 years before she died. 48 years to the same wife. Nice. So he didn't write the book and he was married seven times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 48 right. years to one wife. He was not the one that... Uh, Wrote a book. No, he was the, the one. Five that, broken yeah. marriages. <laughs> but he was the guy that nobody was talking yeah, about. Uh, so you have you have three kids. They are very young. Uh, what do you think about the traditional school system? My daughter, she is eight. Samuel, he is an, a seven. So I'm asking this question all the time. Should I send them to the traditional school system? Should they go to college? You know, it's better... What so, do you think? So let me ask you, what yeah. is the educational system in Slovenia? Is it K through 12, same 12 years yeah, yeah, in the school, four it's years? Similar, similar to U.S. Yeah. Is it like Germany, 13 years? Yeah, or is yeah. it like... Uh, it's uh, like they go to the, how do you say, middle school when they are 15. So we have first to ninth grade now. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. And then they go 
for another four years. High school. High we call school. that high school. High school yeah. and then college. College. Okay. Yeah. And college is typically four years or yeah, maybe years, longer yeah. if you want to do more. Yeah, now. maybe. Okay. So here's what I say about what I'm going to do with the kids. So we have two guys that went to my school and I love the way his parents, his father did it. So one day these two Armenian kids, they go to their dad. That's like, listen, I have $200,000 for you. What do you guys want to do? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go to college or do you want to go out there and do something? Well, you know, we don't want to go to college. Well, go try college first. They go to college six months later. They don't like college. Mm-hmm. They come out. Dad, we want to start a, uh, when they fix cars, when they get into accidents, what do you call it? Like a repair, repair shop, shop, right? Yeah. So they build this repair shop. The father owns. He gives them the money. So the father controls all the decisions mm-hmm. so they don't make reckless decisions. But he gives the money for them in the business. Mm-hmm. The sons run the business and slow, slowly he's given the money. He doesn't just give them $200,000. He gives them slowly to see how serious they are. These kids love cars so much, they build the best center in L- repair center in L.A. that ends up becoming the place where the Hollywood stars, Laker players, take their Lamborghinis, Ferraris for them to fix them up. So you bring your Lamborghini, you tell me what you want it to look like, I tell you $150,000, I fix it for you. They are the best now in L.A. and Beverly Hills. Think about that. So I like what the father did with the kids because he asked and then he had criteria. For me, I'm a big reader. I'm a very, very big reader. So for me, reading is going to be very critical. I'm not going to be more about grades. I'm more going to be about the reading aspect and experience and leadership, all that other stuff. But I notice already with my kids, my oldest loves scary movies. He loves telling stories. Like every time he goes to school, he gets in trouble because he tells stories of vampires. I'm like, why are you telling stories of vampires? So the school teacher says, you can't do this kind of stuff. But he comes to him and says, son, listen, it's okay. You can tell me all the stories about vampires because one day you're going to make movies and tell stories about vampires. But the student, the teachers don't understand. Don't Don't worry about it, but don't tell it in school. Tell me about it. He comes to me the other day and says, dad, I found this other girl that we both like vampire stories and we tell each other. (laughs) Great. Middle one could care less about vampire. The middle one looks like a bodybuilder completely. Beautiful arms, his legs are bigger than mine, muscular, runs fast, people like him, personality. He listens. You tell him what to do, he listens. And then the younger one is very much about caretaking. Mm -hmm. She's creative. She pays attention if you're happy. She's so much concerned about everybody around her. It's not how the boys are, but she is, right? All I'm looking for with them is what's going to click and which direction they want to be that's going to maximize their talent. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to put the money in that. For instance, here's the part with me. They're going to private school right now, all Mm -hmm. of them. Uh, It's important for me to teach them values and principles. One comes from me and another one comes from values and principles from a school. Mm -hmm. So anywhere they're at where they're going to learn about character, lying, cheating, respect, values, mannerisms, all that stuff, that's valuable to me more than chemistry, all these other things. Mm -hmm. I want lots of strong values and principles. As they grow up, And if I notice my kids want to go to college because they want to do one of the STEM, you know what the STEM is, science, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, something like that, you need to go to college because that's what we're doing is technical. But if I notice one of my kids is going towards creative, Mm -hmm. music, movie, art, it's going to be a very niche uh, place. If it's sports, I'm going to hire the best football coaches, pay them $1,000 an hour, the best of the best and have them work with my kids because I see them going to sports. So I'm not necessarily looking at Mm -hmm. every one of my kids, putting them in one box. I am simply looking at how can I maximize him for what he wants to do. I have zero expectation of them doing what daddy's doing. And then let's just say one of my kids wants to go in business. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I've thought about all this stuff already. I've thought about what what am I gonna do, my daughter having a boyfriend and wanting to have sex with a boyfriend. (laughs) I've thought about every one of these things because it keeps me up at night. If you have a daughter, you think about this stuff, right? And she's two years old, I'm thinking about this stuff. It's not the easy part of the life, thinking about your daughter in 10 years. No, I don't, but I know I'm a boy and I know when I saw girls what I thought about. So I know other boys are gonna think like that as well. So when it comes down to business, if one of my kids wants to do business, here's how the setup's gonna be. One, I'm gonna give a portion of money to one of my lawyers and accountants. They lead it with my son or my daughter. So they're not reporting to me. They're reporting to the lawyer or the CPA. I own the business on the side with them, but the decisions have to go Mm -hmm. through them. They don't talk to me because if they talk to me, we're going to fight. I don't want to fight. No, well. I want to give you feedback. You have to talk to the lawyer and, and, and CPA. I trust the lawyer. I trust this guy. You're partners with them. I'm funding. 
And if you impress them, you'll get more money. If you don't, you lose. So what do you want to do? Then you got to go get a job. So it's not going to be free for all of giving money. I've thought about that as well, but these are some of the things I've thought about with uh, how I would, you know, raise my kids with the educational system and all this other stuff that's taking place. Well, very smart. Great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have trouble reaching your goals? I have a surprise for you. Download my free ebook, Goal Setting for Warriors, at www.warriorfamily.com and you will know how to set, plan, and reach even your biggest goals. What legacy do you want to pass down to the kids? You, you touched a little bit, but like at the end of their life, what, what do you want them to Good remember? question. You know, so for me, there's four countries and communities that mean the world to me. One is Iran, because I'm from Iran. Yes. I was born and raised in Iran, so Iran means a lot to me. My painting in my room, the one in the center is the Shah of Iran. He is the Shah of Iran who was dead. He died when they kicked him out of Iran. He was in exile. He passed away a couple years later. So Iran means a lot to me. Assyria, my dad's Assyrian. Bet David is an Assyrian last name. Mm -hmm. Bet David. Bet David. Beta, house of David. That's my dad. Assyrian mm -hmm. means a lot to me. We're going to do something with that. Mm -hmm. Armenian is my mother. Her last name is Bogosian. Armenian community means a lot. And then I'm American. Very proud. They let me come in here and... My life's changed because of being in America. They're going to know for those four things matter a lot. They're going to know that's your blood. You got to respect it. You got to respect the community. And we got to make sure we give back to the community. My legacy with them, what I want to do with my life has a lot to do with economy, has a lot to do with making sure people can think and be free. With them, it's going to be more about them trying to figure out what is the one passion that they have that they get obsessed about that they want to find a way to go out there and spread that talent that they have and do something big with. And then once they make their millions, then they have to make a series of commitments of doing some kind of public service in their life. Public service could be politics. Public service could be a nonprofit organization that they're funding. Public service could be something. But you got to go make your money first, then you do that. Those are some of the things I've thought about. Great. You mentioned Iran. You came from Iran when you were 10 years old. I went from Iran to Germany. I lived Germany. in Germany two years in a refugee camp. Then I came here at 12. So we saw many movie clips on the internet, on the television. Now Syrian people moving from Syria to Europe. And there are some people accusing them that they are moving here on purpose. So what were your feelings when you watched this? So listen, I'm Assyrian, not Syrian. Yeah. Syrian is different than Assyrian. Assyrian, we don't have a country. It's years ago, like mm -hmm. Babylonian, Chaldean. It's like a long time ago. Here's, here's what I would tell you. I don't blame any country that worries about accepting refugees. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I don't blame that country for worrying about accepting refugees is because you don't have a report. What do you know about them? So go back to 1979, 1980, when Jimmy Carter was president. And Jimmy Carter got up and he said, it is absolutely unfair what they're doing in Cuba to the people there. It's unfair. Cast, it just went off with you know, the terrible human rights. Jimmy Carter was a U.S. president. I don't know if you remember. He was pushing this agenda to Iran and Cuba, two countries he was pushing. He was saying Iran is not doing the right thing with their mm -hmm. people and they need to free their prisoners. And he Thank was you. saying Cuba is doing the same thing. So watch what happens. This is a very good lesson for everybody to learn. So Cuba says, you're right. Look how brilliant the man is. You're right. Absolutely. We're going to free some of our people here, and we're going to let them come to America. If you're willing to take some refugees, Jimmy Carter says what? Yes, because they need to be free. You know what Castro does? He opens up his prison. He puts all the prisoners on a boat. They call it the Muriel Boat Lift. Everybody he sends to Miami, majority of them during that time, were criminals. <laughs> so he frees up his prison with the criminals, he sends them to Miami. Miami, the next 12 months, unemployment is 50%. And that's how Miami became one of the biggest cocaine uh, cities in all of America, because of Castro. But it sounded good on campaign, yes. human rights. Now watch what he did to America, to Iran. He told the Shah, it's not fair for you to have all these prisoners. Shah had around 3,000 political prisoners that he kept. The Shah's like, what are you talking about? Believe me, you don't want me to let go of these people. No, you're just... Uh, nervous and paranoid about communism coming down from Russia and Stalin and Lenin and you need to stop being so paranoid. So finally, Jimmy Carter doesn't help Iran. Iran loses it. Those 3,000 political prisoners come out. Some of those political prisoners that got out were tied to Bin Laden and Bin Laden does 9-11 to America. 
So this story that you hear about, it looks good on the outside. Yes. It's what a nice person. But you don't know what you don't know. Like imagine if I see your kid, hypothetically, and your kid did something very bad that yep. you know about. Your kid did something very bad that you know about, you don't want to tell me about, but you know about. And I come and I tell you, why are you being so mean yeah. to him? Let your son go. Relax with him. But you don't want to tell me what is really done and I don't know. I have to trust that as a father, you're going to do your best to raise your yeah. country, your family, your last name. I think sometimes America wants to be everybody's parents and they make a mistake with it. So mm -hmm. allowing uh, refugees to come in, uh, there's a risk. For every good story, there are some bad mm -hmm. stories. And for every bad story, there are good stories. And how that country figures out a way to have a better background check process to filter people in, that's going to be their mm -hmm. challenge. And it's not a real efficient way of doing that. So there is risk both ways. Can you share something personal from the childhood that made you who you are today? From Iran? Yeah, something that you remember. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I remember the one time we got bombed, and I'll never forget this. So we're getting bombed, and we would always get bombed, but one time it was very bad. <laughs> and so in Iran, they would tell you to go hide under the stairs because mm -hmm. it's metal. So when the bomb hits, typically what you would see, when you would go to buildings that were bombed on, what you would always see that made it was the mm -hmm. stairs. Mm -hmm. So they would tell you, if you want to be safe, go hide under the stairs. Don't be anywhere else except under the stairs. So we're getting bombed, and all I hear is whistles. And you hear... <whistles> Boom. And you would hear this. And then you were hearing the whistle get louder, and the bomb getting closer. closer. <laughs> and closer, and closer, and closer. And then you know it was a building right next to you. And I'm just looking at my dad. My mom's crying, my sister's crying, and my dad is firm. He's not crying. And I'm looking, I'm like, why are you not scared? I just got the chills telling the story. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why are you not scared? And then he says, listen, if you trust God, if it happens, happen. If it doesn't happen, you know, it is what it is, but it's gonna be okay. And then boom, whistle hits. So we literally are the building right here. It gets bombed right next to us. It gets bombed on this side but it passes us, and my dad stayed firm. We got in the car, we escaped, we went and lived in a city called Kataj, which is like two and a half hours away, like imagine like we're St. Austin from here. We went to Kataj, and then they bombed Kataj. And then from Kataj, we went to a city called uh, Bandar Pahlavi, that name's been changed because Bandar Pahlavi was Shah's name, Pahlavi. We went to Pahlavi, Resht got bombed, which is like 30 miles outside of Bandar Pahlavi. And everywhere we were going, we were seeing all this stuff. But what I learned in that moment was, how I felt as a kid, I felt like everything was going to be okay just because my dad was poised. Mm. And you fast forward 30 years later in business, I can tell you a lot of stories where at night I was having anxiety attacks, I'm in the hospital because of panic attacks, but no one knew. So in front of people you're leading, you have to stay poised. Mm -hmm. Poise is a very critical component of leadership. You stay poised, people watch you, people hear you, and you give them confidence as you stay poised. That's one of the stories with my dad. I mean, I got hundreds of stories, but you asked me a question that came to my mind. That's the one that just came to my mind right now. Well, beautiful. So, did you have any limiting beliefs when you moved to the United States? You know, like, I'm not gonna make it here, I'm make it. They have lim limited beliefs yeah, coming yeah, to America. Oh yeah, yeah of because course. Because you, you were immigrant. Oh yeah, I mean, they would, they, they would always make fun of us. I was called terrorists all the time, even mm. in the army. Bullying. Uh, all the time, terrorists. <laughs> We were called fresh off the boat, you know, um, <laughs> fresh, off the, fresh boat. off the boat, FOB, 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 there's a different pronunciation, but we were, you know, and then my parents got a divorce and in Iran, in an Iranian community, when you get a divorce, it's a very big deal. Like it's not a normal thing in Iran for mm -hmm. parents to get a divorce. So all the friends look down at you, look at this kid, poor guy, he's probably going to be a drug addict or a drug dealer. And I believed it. So I thought they're right. If this is what they're saying, maybe this is who I'm going to be. I'm just going to be a regular guy. So this is why right after high school, I went and joined the army. I didn't know That's business. That's why I wanted to ask this. Yeah, I went into the army. I went to why the army. Did you join the army? I went to the army because the army, they told me they're going to give me benefits. They're going to give me a place to live. They're going to give me food. And after 20 years, I get a retirement. So I went into the army. I said, this is what I'm going to do for 20 years. And you're going to pay for my travel. I'm going to live in Germany three years. I'm going to live in Texas. I'm going to live in South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee. I'll go in the army. So I'm in the army. So many limiting beliefs. Let me put it to you this way. 
I've never had a person tell me I'm going to do something big. Like, I don't come from a family where a father or a mother is going to say, oh my gosh, you're going to do something. Like, you know, in Middle Eastern, it's more critical. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're going to do anything. And this is not a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just telling you, this is how I was raised. And so I'm in the army, and then I've never had any signs of wins. Like, I've never played sports. Like, I wasn't great at ping pong or basketball or baseball. I never played organized sports. So I can't even go to one thing to say, this gives me confidence because when I was 14 years old, I was the best, dot, mm-hmm, dot, dot, mm-hmm. never. Not grades, nothing. Not grades, not girls, not in high school, not any of that stuff. So I go to the Army, and in the Army I got a little bit of success because I was athletic, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of liked the whole Army thing. But a guy called me from high school, whom I used to work with at Burger King, and he told me, what's going on? I said, I'm about to sign a six-year contract to stay in the Army. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to stay in the Army six years. He says, no, you're not. I said, I'm telling you, I'm staying in. He says, Pat, you got to get out of the Army. I said, I'm not getting out of the Army. This is a great program. And he says, no, you got to get out. One hour he speaks to me. And he says, Pat, you're the Middle Eastern Will Smith. Everybody knows who you are. You're very cool. You're very this. Everyone loves you. You have charisma. You have charm. For one hour, he paints me in a way that no one's ever painted me out before. And I said, either this guy's high on drugs, which he never did drugs, or he's just being genuine. So I said, I believe this guy. I went to sleep, I woke up, I got out of the army. And I got out of the army and uh, I started working at, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. So I was gonna yeah. be Mr. Olympia, like I was gonna be an Arnold. Schwarzenegger. That's what I was gonna be. If you look at my body back in the yeah, days, yeah. I was a bodybuilder. My physique was my perfect back, the abs, the legs. And so I go and start bodybuilding and selling and then I get into business and then the rest takes off. So if that phone call wasn't made to me that day, I'd probably still be in the army today. By the way, now I wouldn't be in the army today. I would have retired from the army six months ago. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. I used to be the police officer too. Really? Yeah, for some, probably because of some limiting beliefs. I was the smallest one, you know, always. So I want to fight. Uh, you mentioned selling. What, what did you sell? Uh, Bally's, gym memberships. A gym memberships. I sold gym memberships, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, what are the gyms in Slovenia? What's the name, biggest name of a gym in Slovenia? Oh, we have big franchises. What, what's yeah, is their what name is to the, it? What is the, uh, the, the international one? You know, guys? You have 24-hour fitness? Yeah, we have 24-hour fitness. Oh, you have 24-hour yeah, fitness. Yeah, yeah. Why, wow, you know, he looks Less like... meals, he looks, everything so, there. Everything so, is there. So I worked at Bally Total Fitness, which okay. Bally Total Fitness used to be a competitor of 24-hour fitness like 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I got into sales. I went in first month, I didn't sell any memberships. And I gave up. <laughs> I went back to the recruiting station to th- see if I could go back in the army. My manager told me, before you give up sales, go to the mall and watch these other two guys sell in the mall. I said, what do you mean? He says, just go to the mall. I said, I can't sell a membership in the gym. You want me to sell a membership in the mall? He says, yes, but the other two guys are the biggest hustlers and you have to watch them. So I go to the mall and we had a table. So you know how you have a table and there's an escalator. An escalator would come down, people would walk around and you would talk, hey, do you have a gym membership? Hey, do you have a gym membership? Hey, you have, so we would talk, traffic. So I always stood behind the table because I was afraid of talking to people. <laughs> These two guys are in the front, okay? One guy's name is Caesar, the other guy's name is Gabriel. I remember until today. And I would watch them. Oh, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. Come here, come here, just give me one minute, come here. I'm like, wow, it worked. Let me just show you this. You work out. Yes, where do you work out right now? Have you gone to the ballast here? Let's, look, do you want to get a membership? I can get it for you 40% less here instead of going and buying at the gym. What do you want to do? It's just a corporate discount. No way, yes, but it's only today. So I would watch them. I would watch them, and then all of a sudden, I came around a little bit, and then I tried a little bit, and I started going out, and I started bringing people, and then I sold my first membership. This one girl was so nice, I never forget what she bought. She bought a $75 down, $32 a month membership. Changed my life, this girl. I've never met her since that day. (laughs) And then from that day, I started going to all the girls in the mall, at Fox Hills Mall in Culver City, and I became the rookie of the month. Then I became the rookie of the quarter. Then I became the rookie of the year. And then from there, I knew I could sell. So how did you get into the insurance business? Good question. So I was uh, in Venice Beach, you know, with my shirt off and I'm, body, I'm looking for girls. And I meet this one girl named Jean Vier at Venice Beach. Beautiful girl. Comes up to me. We start talking. We start dating. 
And we'd go out and have a good time together. And she would always come with a nice car, a new Lexus, a new Porsche, a new Mercedes. So how do you make your money? She was 25, 26. She said, I'm the advisor for a lot of the Laker players. And that's how I make my money. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no. I said, interesting. So I said, how do I get into the business? She says, well, you need a college degree. I said, I'm not going to college. She said, they're not going to hire you. So I said, I'm going to send my resume. So here's what I did. I had my resume, which was nothing. Burger King, Bob's Big Boy, you know, nothing. I don't have any impressive. You were how, how, how old? I'm 21 there? years old at okay. this time. Yeah. So my cover letter, I took the best joke I had, funniest joke I had. I put on the cover letter. On the bottom of the joke, I said, if you are laughing, this is exactly how people are going to feel when they do business with me. They're going to love me. If you want somebody like me part of your team, give me a call. So I faxed, because back then it was fax. Yeah, remember yeah. fax? I faxed it to 100 different offices. Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, Schwab, TD Waterhouse, everybody. 30 callbacks. 15 of them said this was very funny. 15 of them gave me a job interview. Three of them gave me a job, and I got started with Morgan Stanley Dean Witter a day before 9-11. 17 years and two days from today's when I got into the industry. Wow. Two days before 9-11. Think about when 9-11 happened in 2001. Two days be, uh, one day before that is when I got into the industry. And then I got into insurance. So when I started selling stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I looked at all the products. I said, I'm just going to do insurance. I don't want to do stocks because every time you sell something, people call you 50 times a day. I don't want 50 calls a day. I'm not going to do bonds because it's slow and I'm dealing with a certain market. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do real estate. I like insurance. It's something everybody needs. There's a market for it. I'm going to go after this. And I stuck to insurance. Mm -hmm. So you fall in love with the insurance. I love insurance. Yeah. Let me Why? tell you. I love insurance because it's the only product you sell that the other person will eventually cry one day and thank you. Mm. One day you're going to cry and you're going to remember me. You oh, are boy. going to remember me. And you're going to say, I am so glad that person came to my house and sold this product. And even though I didn't want to buy that product that day, he sold me. I bought it. My husband just said, I just got $300,000. Mm -hmm. They're always going to remember you. Always. It's a life-changing thing that you and I do in the insurance industry. Yeah. It's not a normal thing. So, you and know, it's not easy. It's very hard. It's one of the <laughs> hardest products to sell because it's the only product that, well, you know, nowadays they have living benefit mm -hmm. riders. And I know some of the stuff that you were telling me earlier. Yep. But for the longest time selling life insurance, you only took advantage of the product when you die. It's a very hard product. It's a very yep, noble yep. product. But most people are like, I don't want to buy, you know, my wife's yep, going to yep. get through. Who cares if my wife, she's going to find a new boyfriend and she's going to be gone. I don't care who it is. But the more you explain and educate, it's a very noble product. Yeah, so two years ago, mm -hmm. we used to sell 100 policies a month when we first got started. Three years ago, we were selling 300 policies a month. Uh, two years ago, we were selling you know, 800 policies a month. Last month, we sold 4,773 life insurance policies one month. Wow. In one month. And so we went from being 66 insurance agents. Today, we have 7,700 insurance agents in 49 states. And growing like and crazy. And growing, yes. And growing. So how do you recruit agents? You know, what is how do I in know them him? for? How did I meet him? Do, do, do he and I know through, each other? Through me? Through you. That's exactly through how I recruit. Him. I'm always recruiting through You're you. You're always recruiting. By the way, I found Still my, today? Till today, I always recruit through people. Mm -hmm. I never recruit you. Never. I always recruit through you. It's my best way of recruiting people. Mm -hmm. You're not my best talent. Let me explain what I mean. Okay. I'm not trying yeah, to insult yeah, you, but yeah, let me explain yeah, okay, what I mean yeah. by this. I already know who you are, mm -hmm. but you know the person that I really want. For instance, say you're 62 years old, yeah. okay? Say you're 18 years old. Say you're 38 years old. Mm -hmm. I don't care mm -hmm. what you are, whatever age you are. But say the person I'm looking for is 28 years old, married with a kid, makes $60,000 a year, and it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're probably not that criteria, yeah. but I'm going to ask you, if you know somebody that meets these criteria, mm -hmm. I want to meet this person. So I'm recruiting through you to get to the three people you know that meet this criteria. That's who I want to sit with. I mm -hmm. sell through you. I recruit through you. I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't ever recruit the person. I'm always recruiting Directing. through the person. Mm. That's how I always get the best quality people. My best clients, my best recruits, my best agents, my best executives, my best investors have always come through me finding it through some. My president mm -hmm. here, Tom Ellsworth. I didn't yeah, recruit Tom. I met him, yeah. Tom Ellsworth I met through a pastor named Dudley Rutherford. Through him, he said the smartest guy in this church out of 15,000 people is Tom Ellsworth. Through him, I recruited him. I said, I'm looking for a person that's great in sales and has, has these criterias. 
Through him, I recruited our number one earner, a guy named mm-hmm. Matt Sapala. Mm-hmm. I recruit through people. The investors we have at Oscar de la Hoya, Gabriel Brenner, mm-hmm. all those guys, through the people I know, I recruited somebody that's a Hispanic investor. Wow. I wanted a Hispanic wealthy investor because my target audience is Hispanic. Hispanic. I think half the time, remember how I talked about the book I did with my wife when we mm-hmm. went through the questions? I think half the time a great recruiter, great salesperson, a single man, a single woman, an entrepreneur who's looking for an investor, they rarely actually sit down and say, who is the perfect ideal recruit, client, agent, investor, wife, husband, I want. Yeah. Then tell the world about it because someone knows this person and then you go mm-hmm. get them. Why is there so much negativity around the profession? Of insurance? Yes. Like in my country, insurance agents, they are like, oh, don't meet them. Yeah, you How know, can we change this? I don't know if it's a negativity. I think the or generation prior to us did a bad thing. I don't know what it is. I think for many years, life insurance agents sold door to door what they did. Mm-hmm. And maybe nobody wants to be interrupted while they're having dinner and a salesperson comes and knocks on your door and you keep interrupting the family. <laughs> and eventually, like, every single time I'm spending time with my wife and kids, this guy comes and knocks on the door. These insurance people are so annoying. Where today, that's not the case anymore. Today, you're selling like this. Back then, you sold like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So today, you're pulling. So your person's sitting with you because yeah, they have yeah. some interest, right? So if, if we do more pulling than pushing when selling, that's going to flip. So I think it's just a matter of time before that reputation changes. Let <laughs> I me mean, look at for us. The average insurance agent in America is a 59-year-old white male. Let too, me say this again. Too old. Yeah, that's right. The average insurance agent in America is a 59-year-old white male. That's right. That's exactly how it is in America today. Our average agent in our company is a 33-year-old Hispanic female for us. Millennials. That's right. And female and Hispanic. So millennial, minority, women. So I go after women. Why? My number one earner in the company is a woman. Sheena, amazing woman, absolute leader. So why? Well, you know, a couple things. If I can make the company more attractive, it's going to attract cool people. I want the company to be attractive. Look at the way I'm dressed. CEOs don't dress like this. No. CEOs dress like this. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. If I sit in my board meeting, I'm dressed like you. And I I appreciate the fact that you're dressed to give me respect because you're giving me respect, right? But I'm the product watch and people need to know that you can also be like this and make it in a boring industry like insurance. I intentionally <laughs> dress like this for people to realize. Yeah. If I'm you watch handcuffed. my Instagram account, you will see me exactly. You too? Like, yeah. I know style with you because of your look. I mean, you look like a hip guy. You're talking to you, the places you have a house, you know, Croatia, all that. You seem like a guy that knows how to have fun. You seem like if you and I were in Slovenia together, we'd go have lunch. We'd probably have a good time together. No, but sometimes I think... One, the generation before us, mm-hmm. they gave us the opportunity to be where we are today. I am thankful. Thank you. But I also have to see what pockets they didn't touch for us now to do it right so the next generation is going to be better than it mm-hmm. is today, mm-hmm. right? So you and I have the responsibility to make sure insurance agents are being viewed differently because of what you yeah. and I do today. today. So I take that as a challenge and we're working on it. As a matter of fact, the biggest insurance magazine in America... If we have a copy, let's give it to him before he leaves to read it. It'd be a great copy if yeah. we do have one. It's called, Can Patrick B. David Make Insurance Cool Again? I'm down to cover wow, it. Back to I like that. the title. It's very good for you to read. Yeah. Because I explain exactly what we're doing to try to make insurance cool again. So mm-hmm. we're working on it. We're getting a lot of results. And we're kind of heading in that direction. We had our convention a month ago in Las Vegas. 5,000 plus people was at the convention. Our entertainment was Kevin Hart. Wow. Kevin Hart performed. He came and did his jokes. Dirty jokes, crazy, everybody's laughing. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said the F word. But people were enjoying themselves and we're mixing it up a little bit. We're, make, we're pushing the envelope. Some people don't like it, but we're pushing slowly mm-hmm. but surely while we're respecting uh, the people that have come before us. You use the distribution model network marketing. Okay, so what do you think about the network marketing as a distribution model for the insurance products? So here's what I There are did. two limiting beliefs now. It's insurance, then it's network marketing. There are so many confusing limiting beliefs about that. I don't know about that. And I'll, I'll challenge you on that. I'll, yeah. I'll let you know why. So if viewers are watching this, I'll let you know why. Mm-hmm. If there's ever been a time where network marketing doesn't have a black eye, it's today. It's here's not. why. 
Facebook is network marketing, mm -hmm. Twitter is network marketing, the way we spread stories is network marketing, everything is network marketing. The bad name network marketing and mm -hmm. multi-level marketing has is that I get paid because you join, you spend $500 to join, mm -hmm. I make $200 on that $500. That's the bad That's stuff. Bad, yeah. Insurance is not network no, marketing. No. Insurance is, I took a model out of Morgan Stanley Dean Witter because I worked at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. Mm -hmm. I took some stuff what I did in Bally Total Fitness, which I loved a lot. I took some of the stuff I learned from uh, military and I combined it together and I took some stuff I took from uh, Transamerica and I mm -hmm. combined it together and I made it what it is today with PHB. So we have elements of everything, everything. right? Uh -huh. We have elements of everything. I just look at marketing as an approach. Uh, you can buy leads. I don't like leads. Mm -hmm. uh, I think leads um, may be one of the worst models for sales. I believe that because if I have to buy leads to sell, sometimes I'm not teaching you how to hunt. I'm just feeding you for too much. Mm -hmm. And there was there's just too many stories of insurance companies or real estate companies that the moment their leads get bad, everybody disappears. So mm -hmm. it's a very risky business risky. if you try to rely on leads. I rely on system. I rely on an environment. I rely on a comp plan that produces the behavior I want. I think mm -hmm. a lot of times companies don't have the proper compensation plan set up that gets them in trouble. So I analyze a mm -hmm. lot of businesses with their comp. They come here, Pat, I'll give you 50 grand. Let me look at your compensation. I'm like, I don't even want to take... I'm not a consultant. I only do it with five CEOs. I don't run a consultative business. I don't mm -hmm. have time for it. You can see the business that we have. But comp drives behavior. Mm. Many insurance companies have the wrong comp plan in place. And so once you analyze all of that and you test comp, we're going to try this. Didn't work. We're going to try this. I kind of worked, but it didn't work. This worked very good. Oh, my gosh. This, What just mm -hmm. happened here? Let's double down here. So you got to test that stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a comp plan produces bad behavior. Sometimes a comp plan produces laziness. Mm. Sometimes a comp plan produces somebody to stop selling early because they're retired. So how do you create a comp plan that still keeps them in because the incentive is so big, but keeps me engaged and competitive mm -hmm. because I wanted to get that comp. So once it clicks, it's like the lock. You know, you go mm -hmm. click, you mm -hmm. go click, you go click, and then you open it up. We got to that point, and then there's an explosion. So. On the recruiting model side, you know, if you choose to go to that route, great. If you're not doing anything shady, if you're not paying for people to just get recruited, all that other stuff, it's a model that's been reused for major insurance companies, major mm -hmm. financial firms, major real estate companies, major banks, military. I have no problem with that recruiting model. Great. Thank yeah. you very much. Let's talk about entrepreneurship. Sure. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to become entrepreneur today? And they have all these fears, you know. Well, let me tell you, one of the things <laughs> that you told me, which was great, is uh, when you explained to me Slovenia's tax system. Yeah. 20%, you know, if you cash out 25. Yeah. And what, if I'm an employee in Slovenia, I make $100,000, what's my taxes? It's uh, 50% more. It's 100% more can the company cost. So yeah. if I'm an employee... So if you get I, the net 1000 yeah. I have to pay as an owner maybe close to 2000 Got it. So yeah, if you, yeah. if I want to make For so 50% taxes goes up. Yeah, yeah. Now, what if I make a million dollars in Slovenia? What's taxes? Oh, it's higher. How much higher? Oh, and now the capital gain, I don't know how you, it's I okay, can translate. Gains, I yeah, so it's 25 now. Okay, which yeah, is oh, not yeah. bad. It's not bad. No, yeah. no, it's not the worst one. Okay. Yeah. So, so the reason why I asked that is because, you know, one, I want to know what Slovenia's economical system is, which you told me yeah. is capitalism. I think one, entrepreneurs will be the ones that will prevent countries from maximizing their taxes. That's mm -hmm. one. So the more people you and I encourage to become entrepreneurs, the lower taxes will stay. Mm. The fewer people become entrepreneurs, the higher taxes will go. It's always going to be the case. You look at any country that taxes is going up, you better believe entrepreneurs have gone down. And taxes typically go high after entrepreneurs go lower. I don't know if I made sense or not. Yeah. So it looks like this. So now all of a sudden we have fewer entrepreneurs, taxes go up, 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 up. Why? Because the more entrepreneurs, the more they create jobs, the more people have jobs, the more people are feeding their families, the less mm -hmm. they need the government. The less they need the government, the less taxes should be because the government doesn't need to provide for a lot of people. So encouraging people to become entrepreneurs, one, is going to keep taxes lower worldwide. That's number one. Great okay? point of view. <laughs> number two of becoming an entrepreneur. You have a wife. I have a wife. My wife is my wife. 
I don't like sharing my wife. My wife doesn't like sharing me. I have kids. These are my kids. I have a car. It's my car. I have a house. It's my house. Mm -hmm. Right? We believe in ownership. We believe in owning things. We are wired to own. We are wired to have something that we say it's ours. This mm -hmm. is what we like. That's my wife. That's my kid. That's my house. That's my car, right? Entrepreneurship is a validation of how people are wired. It gives you another thing to say, that's my baby. Mm. While a job, you're babysitting at a place, unless if you work your way up and you become an executive in equity, different position. But a job could be babysitting, but an entrepreneur owns the baby. That's my baby. So you're going to be able to raise your baby. Uh, and then the other part with entrepreneurship is, look, I encourage everybody. I encourage our employees here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, even with our employees, people are like, Pat, you talk entrepreneurship around your employees all the time. <laughs> I encourage everybody to start something on the side. Everybody. Because even if you make $1,000 a month part-time or $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month, what if you do? It's great if you do that. But uh, the, the concept of entrepreneurship is going to save the world economy. So the more people around the world become entrepreneurs, the world economy is continuously going to get better and better and better. What are some of the key habits that every entrepreneur must possess to, to be to become a millionaire. <laughs> oh, to become a millionaire, it's yeah. going to be, it's always processing issues. Yeah. The number one habit is processing issues. You got to learn how to process issues. So mm -hmm. solve for X, everything you look at. Sometimes on the surface, the problem seems like that's the problem, but it's not really the problem. It's somebody that is tied to this person mm -hmm. behind closed doors that you need to go have a conversation with, and then you solve it. So it's knowing how to process issues and get deeper than what you see on the surface of being a problem. You need to learn how to sell because you got to sell me as an employee to work mm -hmm. with. You got to sell me as a business partner mm -hmm. to come on board. You need to sell me as a investor to invest into. You need to sell me as a critic to trust you. You need to sell me as a enemy to want to collaborate with you. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is selling. So you got to learn how to sell. And then uh, as an entrepreneur, you got to figure out a way to, most entrepreneurs have some kind of an ego. Mm -hmm. They're confident. Oh, I'm going to go out there and do this. It's great, but you, you have to be self-aware when your ego gets out of control or your insecurities goes out of control or mm -hmm. your fears get out of control. Because sometimes an entrepreneur's is creative mind, they want to create all this other stuff, they can also sabotage themselves to make a problem seem bigger. Mm. So you have to hold control of that problem. And they can also take a crisis and make it Armageddon. You know, And they can also take something really small and make it seem like we're going to build the biggest company ever, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things are good talents, but you got to know where it works for you, where it doesn't work for you to keep yourself mentally stable. Smart. In 2017, I gained around 3.2 million followers on social media. I earned more money than ever and got so many new opportunities. If you want to know how you can do that, download my free manual, Social Media Warrior, at www.warriorfamily.com. I think that two most common diseases of every entrepreneur, boredom and uh, burnout. Which one is more dangerous, in your opinion? Absolutely. <laughs> and how boredom. to overcome boredom? 100% boredom. Yeah. Yeah, because burnout, like for instance, okay, I've been hospitalized multiple times. What happened? I go to the hospital, I rest, I come back, you know, I go to the spa, I'm taken care of, and then I'm back at it again, okay? And a burnout sometimes is an opportunity to have a timeout and kind of regroup yourself and see what you mm -hmm. want to do next. When you're bored, you do cocaine. When you're bored, you party. When you're bored, you find mistresses. When you're bored, you go play and gamble and you lose money. When you're bored, you waste money buying stupid things. When you're bored, you fight. When you're bored, you create problems. When you're bored, there's a lot of bad things mm -hmm. that comes from boredom. Oh my gosh, you give me a person that is bitter, I'll give you a person that has a lot of time on their hands to think about all the problems to become bitter. You give me somebody that's constantly engaged doing something, they don't have time to be bitter because they're in the game. Boredom is a very dangerous quality. Mm -hmm. Very, very dangerous. Boredom is... So how to fight it? How do you fight it? Is you... Fig okay, so, uh, you know, when I was young, um, my dad would constantly say, why are you so lazy? Why are you so lazy? Why are you so lazy? Okay, this is before the army. So one day I said, you know what, screw this. I want to find out why people get lazy. So I want to study laziness. So I went and studied and I said, 
Can you check to see the, out there they're making some noise so they know the camera's on? Yep. So, so I wanted to find out why mm -hmm. people are lazy. So when I went and studied laziness, I realized laziness stemmed from boredom. When we're bored, we get lazy. You watch a boring movie, you fall asleep. You talk to somebody that's a boring person, you get bored and you get tired and you're not <laughs> off, right? You just get bored. You go to church, somebody speaks who's boring, you don't pay any attention because they're boring, right? Okay. So how do you fight boredom? You got to ask some questions to figure out something that catches your heart. You know, you find something that gets you here. You find something that gets you here. You find something that gets you here and you feel like you can do something about that, that's gonna bring out an intensity in you that you haven't had before. That's the different level. But if I don't wanna be bored, if I work with somebody like you, the chances of me being bored when I go with somebody that knows where they're going is very slim. Mm -hmm. You work with somebody that's going, let's just say you don't know what you wanna do with your life, which is a lot of people. Find somebody that does, and it's extremely driven, and hold on to their coattail. You're probably going somewhere with them. Mm -hmm. So it's either you're gonna be the head leader, that's going to lead other people to not be bored. If you don't, if you don't know how to be that person, find somebody and team up with them. Well, but that's one of the ways to fight off boredom. That's worked for me. So, how can teenagers find some mentors? Like you mentioned, millennials. I think that this profession that we are in, it's perfect. It is to it mentor is. somebody. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, teenagers, you know, I think teenagers, like if you're asking 14 to 17, 18 years mm -hmm. old, I think a great mentor for teenagers is a good football coach. Good you know, basketball coach, good uh, baseball coach, or whatever, soccer coach. Coaches are good mentors. You find a good coach that is tough on your kids, but teaches them discipline, expectation, performance, mm -hmm. practice. Coaches are great mentors for kids. I mean, you go back and you think about some people that probably impacted your life, yeah. you're gonna think about some kind yeah. of a coach, right? Yeah. I don't know if you play soccer teachers. or not. Some yeah. teachers. No, not all of them, some. It's yeah. normally one yeah. or two of them. Yeah. So, but you have money where you can find a great coach for your kids. Yeah, You're yeah. gonna know who's the best, right? Uh, if I'm somebody that I'm not, I'm, you know, I wanna be around people that are winning. So for me, you know, if I'm a kid, I'm gonna be able to put my kids around an environment that someone's gonna be tough on them. Post that, find somebody local that's winning and try to shadow mm -hmm. them. I'm a big fan of shadowing. Like mm -hmm. you said something to me. I said, how do you guys uh, get your agents to become who they are? You're like, oh, they get trained. They go and watch other people sell. Great, that's how I learn how to sell. That's how you learn how to sell. Go shadow somebody. There's a lot of power into shadowing somebody that's very successful. So yes, I would say that would be one, shadowing. Can you share some productivity hacks that are most productive for you, like productivity, time management hacks, something that you use every day? I have to get my cardio in, that's a good point. I have to get my cardio in, uh, my exercising, because my brain works better if I do. Uh, that's one, but that's not, not a big deal on, on what I'm saying with you. So here's what I will say to you that hopefully will, will make sense. Say you have a top 20 to-do list on what I gotta do. I will go through that to-do list and I'll figure out how much of that I can give to other people and which one of them has to be me. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times control freaks take the 20 and they do the 17. I don't. I have the 20, I've learned to say out of the 20, I'll only need to do two. Those 18 are going elsewhere. I don't do the other 18, I only do the two. I don't have to be in charge of mm -hmm. everything. So I figured this out, these three are hers, these two are his. Hey, can you get this for me? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can we figure this part out? Because it's allowing me to put my energy into two things that matter the most. So I know it sounds very simple and it sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, but it's not easy. No, it's not easy because control people have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. I learned, I learned, Here's what I said to a guy the other day. We were speaking. I said, let me ask you a question. How big of a business you want to build? He says, very big. I said, anything that you want to go into exponential phase and have massive momentum and have a life of its own, you can't control. Let me say it again. Anything that you want, no, if you can go around mm -hmm. and tell them again because they're doing it, go that way, go that way, go that way. Yeah. Anything you want to have a life of its own, what does a life of its own mean? It's Here's funny. what like, yeah, you're not touching it, it's doing it okay. by itself. Yeah. Anything you want to have a life of its own, you can't fully control for too long. Make sense? Yeah, makes sense, yeah. So the more you control it, the less it's gonna grow. Who were you closer to, your mom or your dad? Mom. Mom? Yeah. Was dad tough? Yeah. Okay, 
Did you eventually say, I'm sick and tired of my dad controlling me, I gotta get away? When did you grow the most? When your dad was controlling you or when you were gone? Yeah, when I was gone. That's the point. Yeah. You yeah. can't be controlled. Mm -hmm. Think about mm -hmm. that, right? So for me, at one point, I had to realize with my business, if I want this business to have a life of its own and go national, I have to have controls, but I can't be controlling everything. Mm -hmm. If I try to control everything, it's not gonna explode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to have controls. What Great does controls point. mean? Let me explain what controls mean. I have to have somebody in control of compliance. Doesn't have to be me. I have to have somebody in control of technology. Doesn't have to be me. I have to have somebody in control of business development. Doesn't have mm -hmm. to be me. I have to have somebody in control of marketing. Doesn't have to be me. I have to have controls in place. Mm -hmm. Controls. Control. So if somebody in the company is screwing up, that person going to know, hey, we have to keep an eye on this. So it doesn't prevent me from the company going out of business. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if I want to do everything, I'm not giving it life for it to explode. It's a very hard thing to do for A-type personalities who easy like Easy to control. say. <laughs> very easy to say, very hard to do. <laughs> yeah. How do you structure your day? When do you wake up? What do you do first thing in the morning? So last night I slept working? at 4 o'clock. Okay? okay. Yeah. So literally I slept at 4 o'clock. So I woke up at 8 o'clock. So it was an eight, a four-hour sleep for me. So to me, it's travel is crazy. So I don't have a, mm -hmm. uh, like I'm not every day. I travel, what would you say? I travel four months out of the year, five, five months out of the year. What would you say? Three to six months? I would say almost six. Okay, six months out of the year. Out of the year. Uh, huh? Out of the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, today I'm here. Yesterday I was in Austin. Tomorrow I'm in Vegas. Mm -hmm. I don't get back from Vegas until next Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Then I'm in here in Dallas for Wednesday. Then I leave Dallas on Thursday, and I go to Reno. Then I go to L.A., then I come back. Then I go to New York, then I come back. Then I'm here for one day. Then I mm -hmm. go to Dallas, I'm sorry, uh, New York, then I come back. So then I go to Buenos Aires for seven days, mm -hmm. then I come back. Like, I am literally in Dallas maybe 20 days the next five months, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. I'm gone. So and kids? I, huh? Kids in Dallas. Kids are on Dallas, yeah. They're all here. They're 10 minutes away mm -hmm. from here. So... These are all the things that I have with my calendar. So if you're asking me a question of somebody that can really learn of how I was when I was running a business that I have full control of in one office, mm -hmm. because that's, I think that's something the viewer can probably pick mm -hmm. up the most. I had a very set routine. I had to work out. I had to read. I came to the office, 8 a.m. I started my day. I would work till 10 o'clock at night. Hmm. And then I go home, and that was Monday through Friday. Saturdays, I worked till 8 o'clock at night. Sundays, I slept in. So I would sleep 8 hours, 9 hours on Sunday, Saturday to Sunday. Easy, I'd sleep 7 to 8 hours on Sundays. Throughout the week, I was probably sleeping 4 to 6 hours. Sunday, I sleep, what do you call it, 7 to 9 hours. Mm -hmm. And then I get up, I have a routine. I go to the same restaurant. I want to have my main breakfast. I want to have my main food. I want to go by the beach. I want to go see the sun. I want to be outside. I want to do certain things. And Sunday night, I come to the office. I spend two, three hours preparing for my week. Then I'm back at it again. I probably have that routine 10, 15 years. Yeah. And today, I'm probably working more than I've ever worked before. Wow. Yeah. But not because I have to. Mm -hmm. Not because I have to. But I know what we're getting to do, ready to do next three years. I know what's going on. I know the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Times like this, you have to capitalize. Because if you don't capitalize, no. the difference between me capitalizing the next two to three years could be 80% more in victory financially three years from now. Wow. 80% is what? It's a big number. It's so you big... see the, the great future for the insurance oh, industry. Oh, oh buddy, you're going to see what you, what's going to happen here. A movie's going to be made about what we're doing. No, no, what we're doing is we're revolutionizing the insurance industry. Complete different, complete. Like next year, August, you should come to our convention mm -hmm. from Slovenia. Mm -hmm. When? Next August, 2019, a year from now. We just did ours two weeks ago, three I weeks ago. I can come. You need to come. You're going to pick up a line. Bring a couple of your leaders and come. It's not like I'm a competitor. I'm not going to recruit your people away. <laughs> there is no fear. You're going to come get our secrets and take you back to Slovenia. Like I saw your guy right there taking steps. He's measuring the studio. You guys are students. You're <laughs> testing everything. He looked at the steps this way. You guys are very, very smart. Have you heard of Sam Walton's story with Walmart? Have you studied Walmart, Sam Walton? I didn't how he study, was? but I heard the story. I'll give you a good story. So I'll give you a good story for you guys to be thinking about. 
So he goes to uh, London uh-huh. and he goes to a market and he notices in the market, he says, I would like a toothpaste. The cashier says, let me have one of my associates get it for you. He stops, grabs a paper, writes down the word associate, comes back at Walmart, we are no longer employees. Associate. Everybody moving forward, your name is associate because it's more respectful than employer staff. Everybody in Walmart mm-hmm. becoming associate. He goes to Brazil. He looks at Brazil, he goes to this market, big market in Brazil. He's walking around and he's doing what exactly what he did with the steps. He did the measuring stick. He takes it out and he measures how wide each row, not row, what do you call it? Each, when they say aisle, each aisle, aisle, aisle yeah. 17, aisle 13. He measures each aisle. He says, wait a minute, our aisles are six inches longer. He brings it back to Brazil's aisle. He noticed the carts can go past each other. Why am I doing six inches? He brings it back six inches longer, adds two more aisles to every one of his stores. Revenues goes up 15%. This is a guy that's paying attention to details, right, on what's going on. By the way, today, if Sam Walton was alive, he'd be richer than Bezos. Sam Walton has four kids. His poorest kid is worth $40 billion. (laughs) Let me say this again. He has four kids. His poorest kid is worth $40 billion. Sam Walton. Just go look at the numbers, right? What's the moral of the story? This is the moral of the story. You asked me about today's schedule. I know what the opportunity is right now in the marketplace. So if somebody's watching this and you feel like you're working harder than ever before, but you know what the market is in for timing right now, don't feel bad for yourself. Capitalize. Because, you know, those times may not come back again for 15 years, 20 years. And um, sometimes you look back and look at somebody and say, why is that guy worth a billion? This guy's worth 60 million. They're both, you know, good. 60 million, you're done, you know. 10 million, you're good. That guy's 60, that guy's a billion. What's the difference? What's the difference? 18 more months of pushing harder. That's what's crazy. That's what's crazy. At the right time, probably. At the right time. Timing. He pushed a little harder, that guy was happy. That guy was happy. That guy said, I'm going 18 more months. A little more discipline. And then, boom. So, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I told the guys, I said... So in I August. Said, I said, the moment I'm out of the insurance industry, my entire social media platform will be shut down for 60 days. You won't, no one in the world is going <laughs> to find me for 60 days. <laughs> Why? Because, because I've been going 80 to 100 hours a week for the last 17 years. Wow. <laughs> I will be on shutdown for 60 days. <laughs> you may find me at an island in Croatia. And yeah. I'll call you, say, hey, come on the ship, you know, come on the yacht, let's just hang out. But... Uh, yeah, I actually love what we do. So for me, it's never like, oh my gosh, let me go to work. I don't. If you have that attitude, it, it doesn't matter how hard you work. Everyone's going to feel your negativity. It, you can't do it, but yeah. you don't want to do it. You got to do it and you want to do it. I don't know if I can explain that or not. Like, you know the difference when you have sex with uh, your wife or they have sex with you and you really are not in the mood or they're not and they want to? It's a big difference of a sex. <laughs> like, you know, sweat, noise into it versus... You know, they're kissing you and you know they just yawned, okay? Yeah. And you know the difference. <laughs> but I want to be in it and I want to get into it and I want to, and when I'm in the mood. So if I can come to work every day and if I can increase the chances of I'm in the mood 90% of the time, I'm good. It's never going to be 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. But I want to be in the 80, 90% range when I come to work. I want to do it. I want to be in the mood. I want to feel mm-hmm. good about it. And I am right now. If I don't, I won't do it for too long because for me... I am not very, I am tolerant in many areas. I am not tolerant having to do something because I have to do it and I'm forced to do it. Mm-hmm. I have to do it because I want to do it. And I see value in doing it. And I, that's where I'm at right now, which is a very good place to be today. So we'll see I, how long this yeah. will go. I see you're so passionate about the insurance uh, profession. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's hard to get in and it's even harder to get out. <laughs> yes. When the insurance gets into you, it's hard to get it's out so true yeah it's so true it's hard to get out of the business so what is next for you the book uh, is coming out yes so the book solve for x process and issues we are you know mm. i signed a contract with simon and schuster about a year ago we are six to nine months away from that book coming out it's going to give you exactly the formula on how i process issues everything like you will be able to grab that book and give it to your 10-year executives, and they all will have a formula on how to solve problems and process issues. All of them. All of them. I This entire time, I wanted something. So people ask me how mm-hmm. I come up with content. 
Yeah. Right? Valuetainment. Here's how I come up with content. You ask me a question. Yeah. I don't have the answer. And you research. And then I research. I don't research. You ask me a question and you say, Pat, how do I become a millionaire? And 10 people have asked me. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I get asked that question one more time, I swear to God. You know what? <laughs> I'm just going to make a video about it. So I make a video. So I take a sheet of paper and I write. How do you actually think people become millionaires? So I write down how I did it. And then here's a video. So now every single time somebody asks me, go search the video, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you asked me the question about the book. When you, what are you doing yeah. next with the book coming out? People ask me, Pat, how do you process issues? How do you solve problems? I'm like, I've been asked that question a thousand times. No more. I'm writing a book. So you want to ask me? Go Here's read the, the book. book. People ask me, should I stay in college? Should I stay in school or drop out? I'm not answering that question. I wrote a book. Drop out and get school. Mm -hmm. Go read the book. Mm -hmm. So for me, this book is the one I'm most excited about because some of the chapters are very weird. Like some chapters say, you know, I love you, but sign the prenuptial agreement. Another chapter says, stop playing blackjack and start playing poker. Another chapter says, you know, it's, the chapters are very, very weird. Like one chapter is called, yeah, Tupac was right. You know, it just, it makes no sense, but then you read it like, oh, I never, and then there's the one part that gives you exactly the formula mm -hmm. on how to solve problems. And it's what we've been using for many, many years, and now we're going to make it public to everybody. Mm. So I'm excited about it. So like in six, nine months? Six, nine months, uh -huh. yeah. Okay. So let's pretend for a moment not, it's not real. You only have five seconds to live. What message would you send to your kids that they would remember till the rest of their life? Something that it would stick with them. I don't think about it that way. I'll, think, I'll tell you in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. It won't get to the point of five seconds. It's just going to get to the point of, hey, just remember the conversations we've had over the years. Mm -hmm. Lead, respect, improve, love. Don't bully and don't get bullied. It's going to be all good. And that's it. Because I don't let it get to the point of mm -hmm. that. I'm an anticipation guy. I'm a skeptic. I'm a paranoid mm -hmm. guy. So I have to, like even right now, I know my three things. So something happens, you have three exits here. So he's close yeah. there. You're close here. I'm close here. So I'm... For me, it's always next move thing. So for my kids and the people I work with, I am preparing you what to anticipate. Mm -hmm. So once I'm not alone, you just have to remember the conversations we have. So go do what we've talked about in the past before. There's nothing I'm going to tell you in five seconds that I haven't already told you the last six years. So I hope you remember the conversations we have and go apply it. And in our family, you got to lead people in every situation you're in. Mm -hmm. you got to respect people because everybody has something to teach you. You got to love people because everybody has some kind of pain to have, they're trying to overcome. And you got to improve because it's your savior. As long as you improve, you're going to be forgiven. Then don't bully people and don't let people bully you. Very simple. You do that, life's going to be all right. Well, thank you very much, hey, Patrick. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah. you for coming out. Yeah, thank Absolutely. You very much. Thank you for coming out from Slovenia. Yeah, so guys, watch this video one more time. Take notes and you will remember what we talked about for the rest of your life. Thank you very much. See you next time. Resources from this interview are available online. Visit www.warriorfamily.com and download the free book Lessons from Millionaires with all the resources mentioned in the interview. If you want to be a warrior who has it all, visit www.warriorfamily.com and download my ebooks for free. Learn all about warrior productivity, habits, mindset, marketing and sales strategies confidence boosters and many other things i promise that you won't be disappointed more valuable content is waiting for you on my social media profiles instagram smillion mori youtube and facebook smillion mori warrior family twitter smillion mori and linkedin smillion mori